Good morning. Welcome to True Life Church Online. It is great to be with you as we gather in homes and whatever uh, house you're in, whatever couch you're sitting on, whatever sweatpants you might have on, we are grateful to be able to use technology and gather together. And I just want to say again, welcome if you are new. We know this is a, a weird time to check out churches, but we're thankful that you would be here with us. And right after our service today, we will have a virtual pastors meetup. I'll be able to have a chance to just spend a little bit of time with you through Zoom and would love to connect with you, share a little bit about our heart for you and answer any questions that you have. So if you are new, please stick around for that. It's uh, it, won't, it won't take super long, just a quick first easy step for you to begin to explore what God may have for you here. Now, listen, I, I know that we're across a screen and that can be a little strange, but we believe that God can speak to us, that to you this morning, to you and your family across this screen, that God's word can speak into our hearts and we need to hear from him and uh, have our lives be brought to him. And he wants to speak to us. He knows what's going on in our world and he wants to still enter into our lives. So I'm going to pray for us and then we will jump into our time together. So Father, I ask even now that you would speak uh, to each person listening, that you would open our hearts to receive from you. We believe that you have something for us today. We believe that you know what's going on in our world and you know what's going on in our world, in our lives. You see us and you want good for us. And so I ask, Lord, that you would Help me to communicate your word to us this morning and that you would bring conviction, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring leadership, that you would help us to experience all that you have for us in our time together. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, much has stopped, if you haven't noticed. Much has stopped, whether that is hobbies that you previously enjoyed, whether that's your job, whether that is school, whether that's being able to do things that you like, whether that's hiking or going to restaurants. Maybe you had trips that had been planned. Many different things have been stopped. Obviously, socializing and being with friends, so much right now has just been put on pause. It has ceased. It has stopped. And we don't really know all that, uh, when it will fully come back and when we will be able to experience everything back to normal. But when things stop, it creates an opportunity to restart. When things stop, it creates an opportunity to have a new beginning. Uh, we get in routines in life. We get in routines and we, we go through them really a lot of times without thinking, without knowing exactly the things we're doing, but we kind of get up, we go to work, we go to school, we take care of the kids, we watch this show, we do this activity, we go eat here. We kind of just get into routines and often unthinking. And a lot of times it takes a hard stop. It takes a, a break to be able to reevaluate. It takes a stop in order to restart. You, you may have experienced this if you move to a new city. Sometimes when people move to Denver, they say, I'm looking for a, a new start. I'm looking for a fresh start. I'm looking for a new beginning. And it took the old life kind of stopping for them to be able to have a, a new start, a restart. And sometimes people even say things like, I want to reinvent myself. Maybe you, uh, from high school to college, you decided that you were going to have a new hairstyle or be a little bit different or do kind of a new thing. Maybe when you went from one job to another job, or maybe you lost a job. And, and while that was stopped, you actually had time to, to rethink some things and reevaluate what kind of work 
do I want to be in? What do I want my next job to, to look like? Anytime that we have a, a stop, it allows us to have a, a restart. And that is what has happened to us globally, really, in many ways. And so where are you right now? Where are you in your life? Where are you in faith? Where are you in your relationships, in your home life, in your work life? Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel just kind of apathetic. Maybe you feel fine, but you haven't really evaluated in a while. Where is my life at? Where is my faith at? Where are my relationships at? And we've been given a unique opportunity to have a restart. And with a restart, we get all the other kind of re's. We get to refocus. We get to renew. We get to rethink. We get to reevaluate. We get to reset. We get to restart because of the stop. And here's a question I want you to think about. If the reset button, if the reset button was pressed on your life and you could have a, a redo, what is it that you would want to change. And I know that this is not fully that scenario. I know that this is not a full restart and everything's kind of gone back to the beginning. But in some ways, this is a restart button. And if you could hit the restart button on your faith, on your relationships, on your goals, on your priorities, on your focus, if you could hit it, what would you want to be different the next time, if you, uh, when, when I was a kid, we played the kind of old school Nintendo and there was a, a restart button, a reset button. And when you would do that, it gives you the opportunity to kind of redo the, the mistakes that you had made. It gives you the opportunity. You would learn some things and maybe on one level, and now you're able to go back and say, okay, I know what's coming. I know this guy is going to come and try to get me with a gun in this level. I know this is going to happen. It allows you because you've had some time now to pause. When you restart, you come back better. And what if you could hit the reset button? in your beliefs, in the way that you're living, in your actions, in your practices, in your heart, in your focus? What if you could hit the restart button? And, and we're starting a new series today where we're going to look at what it means to restart in our relationship with God. Maybe for you, it's actually not a restart. It is a start. But some of you maybe are coming back to church now, and it is truly a restart. But for many of us, it's just been this pause, but it gives us the time to reevaluate and restart. What does it mean to restart in our relationship with God, in our relationships with those around us, our friends, our marriage, our parenting, all of that? What does it mean to restart just with the focus and the goals and the purpose that we have in life? I, I believe we've been given a unique opportunity to restart. And today, Today, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about really how do we use a restart? How can we use this trial, this uh, change, this stop, this suffering for, for some of us? How do we use this to restart? And, and what I want to start with, what I want to begin with is to ask the question, what is God's 
intention with the trials that we face. And by trials, for, for all of us, this is a trial. And for some of us, it's probably an extreme trial. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you uh, have lost many things. Maybe you are sick. Maybe you're scared of getting sick because of you're on the front lines or, or various things like that. For some of us, it's a trial just because we've lost certain comforts or things that we enjoy or trips that we had planned or we're just kind of stuck in home. And, and But for all of us, it is a trial of a kind. What are God's intentions in the trials that we face? When, when we face trials, here's what we think. We feel. We feel that they are taking stuff from us. They take our comfort. They take our peace of mind. They take physical things from us. They might take our health. They may take our money. They may take our time. And we feel what trials take from us. Even if you just think about this season that we're in, you, you know the things that have been taken from you, that you had, that you no longer have, that you were looking forward to, that now you don't have. And, and we feel what trials take from us. But God wants to not take from us during trials. He wants to give to us. God wants to give to us something in our trials. We're asking this question, what are God's intentions in the trials that we face? And, and what I want to do is to look at just kind of a survey of the Bible, of some passages in the New Testament that talk about God's intention in the trials that we face, what it is that God is wanting to give. Listen, it is hard, I know. I'm not trying to diminish what trials take from us at all. It is, it is difficult. It's hard. But God is wanting to do something. God is wanting to give something in the middle of the trial. So I'm going to walk through several passages, and then we'll kind of focus in on one of them for, for the remainder of our time. But I want to read to you five different passages that, that will just kind of help see here is what God is wanting to do in the trials that we face. So 2 Corinthians 4 16 through 18 says this. This is Paul speaking to the church in the city of Corinth. He says, Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Maybe you feel like that. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. There's that kind of restart language, a renewal. That's part of what happens even as we are being destroyed on the outside. Inside, we are being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction, that's what we're experiencing, our momentary light affliction is producing. So it's doing something. God is working in it. Our affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is is eternal. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. So Paul is experiencing some pain. We don't know exactly what it is, but he says it's tormenting him in three times. And, and that doesn't just mean three really quick, but three significant times of probably prayer and fasting. He's asking God, please take this away from me. So some sort of deep pain in his life. But he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. We are experiencing weakness, but in that moment, God's intention is actually for us to experience more of his 
power. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses. And look what he lists out. I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties. We, we all are going to find ourselves at least in one of those for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is God's intention in the trials we face? We're beginning to get a picture here. Romans 5, 2 through 4, Paul writes to the church in Rome and says, We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. 1 Peter 1, 6-7. This was part of the, what, the passage I uh, had last week on Easter. You rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, all different kinds, we all have different kinds, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire. The fire is a refining fire, a purifying fire. It makes it better. Though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And finally, James Chapter 1, he writes, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith, that's what trials do, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. This is kind of the overview. Let me ask you this. Think about this. How right now, how is your faith? How is your life? You know. It, it may be bad. It may be non-existent. It may be decent. It may be good. Maybe it's even great. Maybe you actually look at your faith and your life and, and you would even say that, that it's great. But all of us have the tendency to settle. All of us have the tendency to be content and okay with where we are. We settle. We start going through life without evaluating, without thinking, without focusing, and we settle. And what all of those passages that we just looked at are saying is this. God wants to give us something better. God wants to give us more than we have now. Listen, God is an infinite God. He is an infinite God. And the desires that He has for you the, what, what he wants for you to experience is infinite, which means no matter where you are in your faith, whether you're just starting and you're a little bitty baby in the faith or you have been a, a saint for a long, long time, God says, I want to bring trials into your life to produce something more that's not there, to create more power that's not currently there, to create more refinement that's not currently there, that all of these different verses that we looked at talk about refining, producing, power being perfected, something greater is available to us. We settle, but God is an infinite God, and there's always more that He wants to do in your life. There's always more that we can experience. He is an infinite God. Imagine what these verses say. 
talks about trials creating in us more endurance. What if you could have more than you have now? More hope, more character, more faith, more of God's power in your life, more strength, more refinement. What are God's intentions in the trials we face? This is just a brief survey. You could read through the whole Bible and see this, but the the big idea is this. God has more for you. God has more for our church. God has more for us of what he wants to do, that we can experience more of God. Those are his intentions. Now, how does God bring this about? How does he do this? This is what God wants, but how does he actually bring it about? How do trials lead to this? How does the trial you're experiencing right now, whether it's related to kind of the pandemic that we're in or or other things, how does God bring this about? And here's an important idea. Trials don't create our character. Trials don't create our situation. Trials reveal. Here's another way to say this. Trials don't create your heart. They don't create your sin. They don't create your problems. Trials reveal what is already there. Like gold. That's the the metaphor that Peter gives to us. He talks about gold. and, And if you have gold, the impurities are already there. The fire comes and now you can see them. But if I had a big chunk of gold, I don't, but if I had a big chunk of gold and all of a sudden fire came and it showed all the impurities that were there, I couldn't say, fire, why did you cause my gold to be impure? No, the fire is showing it. It's revealing it. Or another metaphor, Paul talks about strength and weakness and power and weakness. If you think about this, if you, if you start, some of you probably are uh, trying to get fit during this time and watching exercise videos. My son and I are doing a, a push-up calendar and doing as many push-ups as we can do each week. So, you know, in the coming weeks, you will start to see me much, much stronger. Uh, but, but what happens is this, when you exercise, when you do push-ups, when you go on a run, if you, if you start doing a bunch of push-ups and you go, man, all of a sudden that made me weak. No, it doesn't make you weak. It just reveals the weakness that is there. When you try to do something, I remember the first time uh, my wife and I hiked uh, Hanging Lakes, which is a hike in uh, kind of the, the west side of Colorado, and it's up the whole way. It's up. And we were, had been newer to Colorado, so we, I don't know if we had fully adjusted to the altitude, or at least that's what I can tell myself, but it, it was, it, that, that didn't cause my physical weakness. It just revealed it. As I'm going up the thing and I'm panting and I'm breathing and I'm seeing little kids just like totally fine and little old ladies totally fine and I'm like, ah, ah, that, that showed me my weakness. It didn't create it. It revealed it. And the way that God brings about the growth and his intention of doing more in our lives is very similar. What trials do is expose us. It's kind of like a mirror. It shows what is already there that maybe we were blind to. Think about a few areas. If you think about these kind of four categories, and maybe you are beginning to see some of these now, or you can think about them right now, of how trials reveal or show you what's actually there. First one is ourself. It shows us what's actually inside of us. Oftentimes in trials, the worst can come out in us. Our impatience, our selfishness, our fear, our laziness. What are you seeing about yourself right now? Maybe you didn't even know it was there. Maybe you thought that you're a very joyful person, a very kind person. Maybe you thought that you were a bold person, but now you are actually starting to see, wait a minute, there's some stuff inside of me that I didn't realize was there. And sometimes we say, 
oh man, this is bringing out the worst in me, or, or that person brings out the worst in me. And when we use that language, sometimes we think, okay, so I need to get away from them because they are bringing out the worst in me. But the truth is, they are bringing out the worst in you, meaning it is already there, the trial's just revealing it. This is why trials can be so helpful. They show what is there that often we are not seeing or paying attention to. They show the weakness. They show the impurity that's there in ourselves and in our priorities. We realize how much things matter to us that we didn't think mattered to us. What has been taken away from you that a couple months ago you would have said, yeah, I like it, but it's not that important. But now, when you can't go out to eat as much, when you can't go skiing, when you can't watch sports, when you can't uh, hang out with certain people, when, when your retirement has tanked, when, when all of these things have been stripped away, when trips that you had planned and, and you would have said, oh yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I like vacation, but it's not that important to me. What are the things that have been taken away that have actually now revealed because of our devastation, because of how much we've been crushed, what is it revealed about our priorities? How much we actually love comfort, how much we actually love our safety, we love our money. What has it revealed? This is a, a, another example of this is many of us got stimulus checks this week. And many times people say, man, you know, I can't afford to be generous, whether that's to the church or to other people, I can't afford it. But right now, if all of a sudden you got a bunch of extra money that you never had before, that you weren't counting on before, what does it reveal about where your priorities actually are? So it reveals to us ourselves. It reveals to us our priorities. It reveals to us our relationship with God. Maybe how little that we actually trust Him. We say we love God. We say that you know our hearts are set on Him, that we have faith. We say those things. But it takes trials to be the acid test. It takes trials to show us what we're actually made of and what the various components of our life, our priorities, our, our character, our relating to God is actually like. Maybe trials are showing you wrong thoughts that you have about God. You, you thought God just wants you to be totally happy, and now you're very confused. God, I thought you just wanted me to be happy in life. I thought you wanted everything to go well for me. I've, I've tried hard to follow you, and, and now this is messed up. I, I thought you wanted this. Trials reveal our relationship with God, our thoughts about God, our emotions towards God. And, and then they also reveal our, our other relationships. They reveal ourself, our priorities, are relating to God in our, in our relationships. Maybe right now you're starting to see, I thought I was generous with people. Now I realize I do that when it works for me. I do that when it fits for me. I thought I was a good friend. Now, I really, now I'm realizing how much I actually have fear and I'm thinking more about myself and how I can protect myself. Maybe you realize that your relationships aren't as good of quality as you thought. They can't survive, and, and you know, relationships are always better together, but maybe you realize, man, it's not as strong as I thought it was. Because when there's now a, a physical gap, we actually, the relationship has broken down. Maybe you start to realize that as you're in home, in if you're for those of you that are married or have roommates, and, and tension starts coming out, and impatience starts coming out, and, and you start to, as you spend more time together, actually, man, things were great when we were both going to work, and we were both doing our thing, and we both, but now that we're together face-to-face, -face, we actually realize our relationship isn't as strong as it was. It, it brings out stuff between you and your kids, and you realize, man, I thought I was a good parent, but I'm starting to see my my unkindness or my harshness or it reveals 
where our relationships actually are. So here's the, the idea. How does God bring about the intentions he has to do more in our life, to produce something in us greater than we could produce by ourselves? Trials reveal. That's part of how God uses this tool, is that it reveals to us where things are. Listen, there are gaps in our beliefs. There's gaps in our heart. There's gaps in our practice. And by gaps, I mean, here is where they should be, and here is where we are, and there's a distance between that. And some of them we know, some of them we're aware of. You, you know, man, I'm here and I want to be here. I, I, I believe these things and I know that I really need to get these beliefs changed. I, I feel this way and I, I know I need to kind of take what I know and move it deeper into my heart here. I know I'm supposed to be living this way, but I'm not. Some of them we know. Some of them we don't. Trials reveal them to us. There are gaps in God's desire for us is to fully experience God's desire for us is to not just partially experience. He wants us to cross the gaps. He wants to produce something more that we can't do on our own. God wants us to fully enjoy life with Him, to fully experience life with Him. Not just a little bit, not partially. God is not content with us settling. He wants more for us because He's good. He wants more for us. He knows. He knows what we need. James, in the verse that we looked at, kind of uses these three uh, different words. And I just kind of want to look at these because I think they're helpful. They all kind of speak to the same thing, but I, but I think it's kind of helpful to think about each of them individually, about this idea of gaps in God wanting more. He says, Let endurance have its full effect so you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And let's just think about those three words, complete. Complete, if you think about kind of a circle, complete means that right now we're like this, or, or maybe, you know, we're, we're like this, but it's not, we're, we're, we're not whole. God wants us to be complete. Again, that's the idea of gaps. It means that we're missing something now. Sometimes people talk about this in romantic relationships. They, they end up with someone and say, oh, that person completed me. And I think there's a lot wrong with that idea, but that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here is that there's areas in our life that don't feel fully whole. There's areas in our life that aren't quite what they need to be. It's peanut butter and, but no jelly. It's, it's not quite finished. It's bacon and, but not eggs. It, it's not quite complete. There's areas where we're experiencing something missing. What, what is that for you? Maybe you know. Maybe you have readily felt it or identified it. Maybe, maybe you're not... Sure, but what James says is that there's areas that need to be completed, that God wants to complete, or maturity. He says he, he wants us to be mature. I mean, think about it. If you were stuck, if you were stuck as the you 15 years ago, you would not want that. I, I strongly doubt. No matter how old you are, even if, if you're 80 years old, if you look back 15 years ago, you go, man, when I was, when I was 65, what did I know? I mean, always we are, we are maturing and growing and, and we understand life more. No, normally, that's, that's what happens as we age. And none of us would want to be stuck where we were 15 years ago. None of us would want to be stuck as a child, as a, as a teenager, with, with how we thought things worked, of our ignorance. And, and that doesn't mean it's, it's a bad ignorance. It's just there's things we don't know. There's life that we haven't experienced. And he says God wants us to experience 
maturity. God wants us to mature in our relationships, in our faith. Again, some of those areas you know, some of them maybe you're not quite sure of. And then he says, lacking nothing. He, he says, here is what trials can do. They can lead you to be complete. They can lead you to mature. And they can make it so you're lacking nothing. And, and when I was thinking about that part of his sentence, lacking nothing, I think of a trip. And we took an international trip last year and it never really done uh, something like that. And there's so much that we had to get ready for and so many things that we had to pack and you know, uh, adapters for the outlets in, in that country and certain clothing that you're only allowed to wear because we were visiting uh, cathedrals and churches and certain clothing that you have to wear and, and certain things that we had to be prepared for in the weather and with kids, certain things we wanted to pack for them and, and long flights, so got to get the right neck pillow and, and maybe get you know, certain things to help you sleep and, and all of these things. We wanted to be prepared so that we were lacking nothing on the trip. And for those of you that are teachers, oftentimes you give students a list of things to prepare for for the coming years. Here's everything you need to know as you enter into fourth grade. Here's everything you need to know as you enter into seventh grade. Whatever it is, you say, here is your checklist so that you are lacking nothing because you want to fully equip them so they're fully prepared or on a trip so you can fully experience and not have the stress of, oh man, we could have had a nice flight and we didn't. We could have gone to this thing, but we didn't. We, if we had cash, we could have gone here, but we couldn't. You want to be lacking nothing so you're fully prepared for what is ahead of you so that you can fully experience and fully enjoy what is coming. This is what God says he is doing through trials. Trials show the gaps. They show the distance between where God wants us to be, where oftentimes we want to be, and where we are. Trials reveal the gaps that we wouldn't see otherwise. Let me give you one last kind of picture to think through this. If you know what a stress test is, stress test, if you think about the person with all the little, I don't know what they're called, nodes, I think, uh, like electric sort of suction cup looking things, and they're on the, the treadmill, and that's called a stress test. And what it does is reveal your heart. It reveals the strength of your heart. Trials are like that. It's a stress test. It doesn't create. It reveals what's in our heart. It reveals how strong our heart actually is. Many of us right now are experiencing the stress test. And God uses it to reveal so that we can move to where He wants us to be. All, all of this means, this is good news, all of this means God is not surprised by what's happening. God's not surprised about what's happening in the world. But God's not surprised about what's happening in your life, with your trials, with your suffering, with your struggles. God is not surprised by it. He knows about it. And in fact, it's not just that he knows about it. He's using it. He's active in it. It's actually he's giving you something through it. A great gift that we couldn't have without the trials, which means he is not done with you. No matter where you are, if this is your very first time coming to church, if, if you've been a Christian for years and years, if you're coming back, He is not done with you. If you think you've arrived, if you think you've gotten there, if you think you know all there is to know about Jesus and have experienced all there is to experience about community and faith and life and friendship and God, he says, I am not done with you. 
There is more I have for you. There is more I want you to experience. There is more joy and character and hope and endurance and strength and my power that you can have. Now, last thing is this. How do we use this? This is, this is great. Trials reveal. They strengthen. God has stuff that he wants to do. He wants us to lack nothing, to be complete, to be mature. All of that is great. But how do we get that? How do we let that be what happens? Oftentimes, here's a phrase that we say. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that is not true. I think that's important to point out. What doesn't kill you might make you stronger. It could make you stronger, but it's not automatic. A lot of times we say that pain, pain causes us to grow, that, that suffering causes us to grow, and that is not true. It's possible. It doesn't do it automatically. We have to let it. Look, I mean, maybe you've even experienced this in your life. Some pain has come into your life, and it hasn't made you stronger. It's hurt you. I mean, that's in some ways what PTSD is on the extreme end, that some extreme trauma and trials have come into people's lives, abuse and horrible things, and, and they don't say, yeah, this makes me stronger. They, they have post-traumatic stress disorder. It, it hurts. It's painful. It didn't make them stronger. It can, but it's not automatic. And these trials that we're facing right now on your relationships with God, it can reveal where we are, but it doesn't mean it automatically makes us stronger. We have to let it. That's what James says. Back to, back to James, he says in verse 4, let endurance have its full effect. Let it do it. God is trying to give you more. He's revealing things, but we have to let endurance have its full effect. Maybe you're experiencing a partial effect. God has more. Let it experience the full effect. It means we have to engage, we have to use it, or we miss out. And let, let me just be honest with you right now. Let me be truthful. My, my heart is that many of us will waste this. My heart, what I, what I fear, what I'm, what I'm grieved by even, is that many of us will waste this great opportunity that God has given to us. That this trial will come into our life and God will reveal things and expose things and we'll feel the difficulty of it. We'll feel the hardness of it, the pain of it, the loss of it. And we will try to get through it. And then things will just kind of go back to normal. But we will have missed one of the greatest trials our world has seen in 75 years, probably since World War II, one of the greatest trials our world has seen, we will use it to watch Netflix. We will use it to, to just kind of kick up our feet and, and buy all the things online that we have been wanting to buy. We will use it passively instead of letting it have the full effect that God intends for it to have. I hope that's not the case, but that will be the case if we don't do what James says, which is let it have its full effect. Use it. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, James actually gives us two things that I want to, to talk about. One of them is the very next line. He says, if any of you lacks, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. 
But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. James says, I want you to let this have its full effect. And then he tells us how. Ask God for wisdom. Now, that's a verse that people use a lot, that if any of you doesn't have wisdom, ask God for it. But it's specifically in the context of trials that God is using in our life. Here's what this means. To ask for wisdom is to submit to God. It's to say, God, I don't know everything. I don't know the best way. I don't know the areas, actually, that I need change and that you want to use this. To ask for wisdom is to humble ourselves. It's to center on Him and say, I believe and I have faith and I have trust that you are working and I want that. So God, give me wisdom of how to use this in my life. Give me wisdom about what you are revealing in my life. It's to come to him and to ask him to be the one that defines everything. To ask him to be the one that shows us, that leads us. So here's your practical application with this. It's to ask for wisdom. And let me give you just two questions to ask. The first is this. Ask God wisdom on this. What are you revealing to me? What's he revealing about you? Maybe some of those things we talked about, yourself, your priorities, God, relationships. Ask him, what are you revealing to me? And second question, ask him for wisdom on this. How are you wanting to refine me? How are you wanting to refine me? My beliefs my heart, my actions. How are you wanting to refine me? How are you wanting me to restart? How are you wanting me to re... What is it that you're wanting? What, what is this revealing to me? Question one, ask him for wisdom. And question two, how are you wanting to refine me? What would a restart for me mean in my belief, in my heart, in my actions? Bring those to God. Ask for wisdom. That's one of the ways that this trial doesn't just go by, but that you do what James says and let it have its full effect. That's the first thing. The second thing, first is asking for wisdom. The second way that we use this is by turning to God. And I know asking for wisdom is turning to God also, but if you you think about the, the passages that we looked at before, they all talk about what the trial is doing, but then they also talk about the response. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. He talks about later that we will gladly boast. And then in Romans, that we rejoice in our afflictions. And Peter says, we rejoice. And James says, consider it a great joy. All of those are words instructing us how to engage with God, that we should focus on what is unseen. That means focusing on truths about God, His kingdom, eternal glory, about focusing on His character versus focusing on all the stuff that is seen here that we're losing, that we don't have. So we turn to God and we focus on Him. We consider it great joy, which is an active posture. It doesn't mean it just happens. It's consider it great joy. Think about the good that God is doing in your life. Engage your mind and your heart. Consider, rejoice in your afflictions. That doesn't just mean it's a state that is existing. It's an action to take, to rejoice, to take joy into, to thank God, to praise God for what He is doing and what He can do, to boast in your weakness. 
which means to reflect and to think about what is happening and to thank God, to boast in, yes, but God, you are strong. Look what you have done for me. God, I see how you are stronger than me or stronger than these things I've put my hope in. I see how you are a better protector, a better provider. That's to boast in him. So it's all those words to focus, to consider, to rejoice, to boast, to all of those things are to say that we engage with God. We turn to God in actual prayers, in actual conversations, in actual emotions. What if we could restart? What if this is the restart, the refocus, the, the reset, the reevaluating? What if this is the restart? that we have maybe even longed for and didn't, didn't quite know how to get? What if this is the restart that maybe we weren't longing for, but that we need in our life? This is a restart that God is getting to us. Here, here's another question. What if when we emerge from all of this, what if when, when we emerge from all of this, we're not the same, but we're different? I think that's what God wants for us. Then God has more for us than we can even imagine. He's using trials to expose and reveal what's there, and we can let it have its full effect by coming to Him, by going to Him, by receiving from Him. We can, you can have a restart. You can emerge from this with a stronger faith, with stronger relationships, with a stronger life than you've ever had before. And we're gonna take communion in just a minute, and in communion we remember God that gave himself to us. Jesus came to this earth. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. He died for us. He rose for us to give us life. The cross and in communion we remember how utterly committed he is to saving us. But saving doesn't just mean one point in time. That is the decisive act. But to save means to bring us into a full life that he wants for us. That he is absolutely committed that God would give his only and one son that he would give his son to us to save us that's how committed he is and that commitment hasn't stopped he's still committed and so he brings things into our lives so that we can fully experience that salvation so as we take communion remember a god that is so committed to you that loves you so much that he wants you to be saved and to fully experience that salvation and trials is one of the key tools he uses to give us that restart. Pray with me and we will enter into a time of communion and responding in what the next steps in our life and faith are and in song. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your grace for us. I thank you for how committed you are to us experiencing all that you are. You don't want our faith to be shallow. You don't want it to be hollow. You don't want it to be dead. You don't want it to be stale. You want to inject new life into us. Just as you did through the cross and the resurrection, you continue that work using this stuff. And so, God, we ask, would you let this have its full effect in our life? Would you let this have its full effect in our church? We want that from you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray.